After a lifetime of researching the dynamic and enigmatic world of light entertainment, I've decided to ditch my notebook and meet the people who inspire me. What makes them the people they are? How do they feel about the show business landscape in which they find themselves? And in a world where anyone can be a star, is there still a need for performers who have universal appeal? Come with me on a journey of discovery as I get a unique insight into Britain's favourite stars with a little help from my glamorous assistants. Yeah, well, I say glamorous, more like hazardous. And of course, we'll have a bit of fun along the way. The history of British sitcom is packed full of successful writing partnerships, whether it's Gordon and Simpson, Perry and Croft, or Clement and Lafrenet. When it comes to the sitcom, it seems two heads can be better than one. Lawrence Marks and Morris Gran have been responsible for some of the funniest sitcom moments of the last 30 years, from The New Statesman to Birds of a Feather. I caught up the two icons of sitcom to talk comedy, writing, and the secrets to great partnerships. Ladies and gentlemen, Loris Marks and Morris Gran. Okay, so, uh, your first sitcom, Holding the Fort, starring Peter Davison alongside Patricia Hodge and Matthew Kelly, centred on the trials and tribulations of bringing up a family. To what extent was this autobiographical? Um, it wasn't autobiographical at all at the time. Um, I, didn't ha I have children now, I didn't have children then. And Lawrence has not got any children he's prepared to admit to. And, but it was suggested by my wife, um, who said, if we had children, you'd be a better parent than me. Which is just one of those things you say. Um, better mother, I think she said. I don't know about that. And, and I rem remember saying, I think that's a, sh a show. And that was at a time that we were looking for our first show. We had some encouragement at to one or two places, and they said, well, bring us something. And that was the idea that came from that. Oh, okay. So, um, in a way, a little bit autobiographical, but not really. Uh, often uh, recognised writers identify those actors who really understand and capture the world of writing. Uh, Linda Robson and Pauline Quirk were cast as Veronica and Maggie Moon in the hit ITV drama Shine on Harvey Moon. What was it about these two actors which appealed to you? Well, I think Linda was playing a dramatic role in Harvey Moon, so we were watching her drama. She asked one day if she could bring her best friend to come and watch the recording. of the, It wasn't in front of an audience, watch it actually being recorded, rehearsed and recorded on the studio floor. And Pauline came along and she sat in the producer's box with us and we noticed immediately that she was really very, very funny. And she had a very natural comic timing and she spoke our language in, in essence. So Morris and I, I think, pretty damn quickly thought we must write her into this series, which we did. And she became... Linda Robson's character's best friend called Veronica with the eye because she had a, a an eye that needed rectifying um, and had to wear a patch or, or plaster over her glasses. Because when we were kids, there were often children who had a plaster over one eye. So they could... And it looks funny. One. It's not funny if it happens to you, but it looks <laughs> funny. Anyway, so Pauline 
came into episode three, I think, of the third series of Shine on Government. <clears throat> and the scenes we wrote for the two of them, just across the kitchen table of the prefab, were magical. To everyone that was there, you yeah. just knew that this was like Morecambe and Wise. This was any great double act, but two actors that could just almost finish the other's sentences. They, they were that close. And um, so Morris and I always felt that if we could find the right subject matter, these two girls would be stars. But we couldn't find the right subject matters. And others had tried. Um, and, you know, why don't we do a series about, I remember two antique divas that someone tried and it didn't work, and two of this and two of that. And then one day Morris came up with the anecdote to which I replied, and it wasn't anything more than an anecdote. I just said Pauline and Linda, and we had found the birds of a feather. Okay. Uh, in 1987, you created the satirical sitcom The New Statesman, starring the late Rick Mayle. How was this met by the upper echelons of British establishment? Well, initially, even before the programme went out, there were Conservative MPs complaining about it and, and claiming they'd seen it and it was terrible. We knew they couldn't have seen it. So we found ourselves the night before um, we recorded episode two doing an interview with BBC Radio Yorkshire in which we were on the, the air with one of these MPs, almost, but not quite accusing him of being a liar. But... Once the show started, quite quickly, young conservatives started modelling themselves on Alan Bastard. So much so that a few weeks later, I brought a newspaper and on the front page was a bunch of uh, members of the Conservative Student Federation at an end of conference party. And they all looked like Alan. They all had those suits on and the same haircut. And... But then a few years later, when John Major became Prime Minister, um, Tories were saying, oh, if only Alan was real, he'd save us, he'd be our leader. So, like all these things, people take you to their breasts and sort of try to kill you with kindness. I think it was about four weeks into the transmission of the first series that the Daily Mirror ran a banner headline. What a bastard about a Tory member of parliament that left his wife to go and live with his secretary. And Mrs. Thatcher said, we can't have that in the Conservative Party. Get back to your wife. And they got this story and the headline was, what a bastard. And at that moment, I think Morris and I knew that we'd actually captured the lies and filth of politics. Okay, just two years later on, you were reunited with Pauline Quirk and Linda Robson for the long-running sitcom Birds of a Feather. What's the advantages of having two actors who know each other for such a long time? The advantage in the first episode was that there were things they did together as Pauline and Linda that they brought to Sharon and Tracy. Things that we hadn't written in. Stage directions, mostly. I mean, the dialogue. they yes, kept, the way they behaved to each other. They, they really knew what the other was going to do at any given time. There were little things like... I think we had written in the script um, when they arrive at Tracy's 
grand house in Chicklow, that Sharon puts her feet up on the sofa, which she did. She followed the... Uh, to which Linda, brackets, Tracy, said, Oi, feet. And she knew what to do. Yeah. Uh, another time she was smoking a cigarette and uh, Tracy didn't have any ashtrays around, although she did smoke, and so she just cupped her palm and... They just, they had a ballet between them, I suppose you could call it, that was such great shorthand. But what was most interesting was that this ballet that they performed together, this comic ballet, registered immediately with a huge audience who also must have thought, it's just like me and my sister. They were like sisters. They'd known each other since they were five years old. And so that relationship... Um, is invaluable. Even the, the best actors aren't going to develop that in a few weeks of rehearsal. It was almost like a Mike Lee play. It was almost as if they had been rehearsing in a hall, just trying to develop character, but knowing spontaneously what the other was going to do, Yeah, which makes for those kind of great Mike well, we wrote We wrote it for them because of that. You know, it was... Um, and we knew when we met them, we haven't seen them for a few years, and we said, let's go out for a drink and we'll tell you about an idea we've got. And um, just talking, you could see the characters. So their characters, their real characters, we used in the show. So it was a fantastic sort of the opposite of a vicious circle, a, benef- a beneficial circle. Uh, as you were saying, um, why do you think Birds of a Feather uh, were so endearing to the British audience? I think there were several reasons. The first being I don't think they'd ever seen a series where two women took the lead and spoke like two women. That was the first thing. Uh, Someone said to me not many weeks into the series, by which it was an immediate big hit, smashing, said, uh, how do you know how women speak to each other in the toilet? And that was it. So Morris and I just felt that that's the way they would talk, but it, it captured the imagination of men. I also think that um, the fact that a cockney helped a great deal, that they were just ordinary girls who you cared about. Um, what was interesting, although not your question, was why did Dorian become such a big hit? Um, but as far as Sharon and Tracy were concerned, I think they just tapped in to the zeitgeist of the moment, which you have to do in comedy, and the nation recognised... I mean, not just the nation, uh, the English nation, the Scottish nation, and more so the Irish nation, yeah. tapped into these two girls because they all... People came up to Morris and I at various functions and said, we've got two girls living next door to us who are just like Sharon and... That was the secret. Happened actually with Sharon and Harvey Moon too. Not with Sharon and and Pauline, but with all of them. You know, I had a mum that was just like... People warmed to them and we couldn't assume they would warm to them because these were two women whose husbands were gangsters. They might have hated them, but they just warmed to them and we tried to make it very real. You know, Tracy was heartbroken because her husband had gone to prison and she loved him. Sharon was happy because her husband had gone to prison and she didn't love him. So they, people could say, well, I know, you know, if my husband got sent to prison, I'd be really pleased. So people could react to it. It wasn't, it wasn't far-fetched. 
And of course, the more, more successful it became, the more the critics took the dislike to it. But that's what you expect. Why do you think the Leslie Joseph character worked? Well, I don't, that's a very good question because we, well, we created that character because we thought that the two sisters on their own, their story might get a bit sad. So you needed a neighbour to come in and brighten it up. And we just thought she should be a sex pot because there hadn't been one of those on television. And she was based on a woman that we knew, or a composite, of, but particularly someone who was a friend of friends. And I was always hearing these outrageous stories about what she got up to. And so I can explain why we wrote it. But again, I can't explain why the audience loved it. And for many people, she was the star yeah. of the show. Some people still you know, oh, claim it's her show. Yeah. Obviously, the other two girls might not agree. But she, <laughs> you know, um, and again, because... I think she, she was honest. I think the public recognised honesty. Yeah. That she could talk about her sex life so vividly and describe all the things she had done to two Cockney girls who were not prudes, but there was a time and place for talking about them. The audience just found that highly amusing. Mm -hmm. And also, her honesty shone through. And I think that, that, look, the series was really about three lonely women. Yeah. Three women without men. Um, they weren't women behaving badly. They were just pining and waiting for the time that Mr. Wright would come into their life, you know? And they never were going to come into their life. So they had to take it where they could find it. And I think that sense of loneliness, the sense of honesty, and the sense of, um, of familiarity were the key to the three characters and the success of the series. And it remains a success of the series. People still want it on. Why do you think it was the right time to bring back Birds of a Feather now? Well, what happened was we didn't think it was the right time. Some theatre producers out of the blue said, would you be interested in doing it on the stage? And to cut a long story short, a stage production happened with the original cast. And we were really um, surprised by how well it did, because there have been various stage versions of um, TV things. They don't not like that. They don't normally make that big an impact. Because this had the original cast, it made a massive impact, yeah. and that made the TV people interested, and it made us realise there was still bigger, you know, a lot of affection for the show. Yeah. And so um, we, we wrote um, you know, a TV script, and that developed into this. You know, the BBC had it. They weren't sure. We took it to ITV. They said yes straight away. Mm -hmm. And we found that we could do it. You can have an idea to bring something back, and when you sit down to write it, it doesn't come. Yeah. So if the script's got to come, you've got to feel, you know, sometimes you can see a good friend that you haven't seen for 10 years, and you just pick up with them. And that's what we did. If that hadn't happened, we would have said no. And it does happen. And we said, what's happened in their lives? You know, what's she been doing? What's she been doing? And you could think of, you know, what we've done... 25 or 26 shows since it came back. Yeah. So, I mean, we were talking today about the Christmas special that we're going to write for this year. And 
it wasn't hard Never a shortage to come up with ideas yeah. because to us they're like real people so you say I wonder what's going on in their lives if do, you, do you think that through, over generations this will always work because their new generation will come through and want to watch it and relate to it it's true that many say I was talking to somebody on the phone I didn't know her she worked for a finance company and she said occupation I said writing she said oh do you write books I said no I write television shows and then she said, what? And I said, well, I suppose best known would be Birds of a Feather. Oh, I used to sit and watch that with my mum and dad every month. It's just, it's like a birthday cake. Yeah. That's what and, it is. And we do seem to have a wide audience range. I think probably the core audience now are the people who watched it when it first went on 20 odd years ago. But I think Still you, you, you bring other people to it. And I think it's a show you can watch with your parents. Yeah. That's also important. Like Harvey Moon. Um, it's a show, a show that keeps you warm in the winter. You know, you sit down and you feel much better for at the end of it than you did at the beginning. Yeah. I don't know quite why that. So it has to do with cast, I suppose, really. Okay. Uh, in 1993, you created Britain's first time-travelling sitcom, Goodnight Sweetheart, starring Nicholas Lindhurst. Did you believe it would be the success it later became? I don't know. It's a very good question. If you'd mm. asked me about Birds of a Feather, yeah, I, I would say that I knew, I felt that it was going to be you a hit. Said it. You said I it. said it. About page 10 on the writing. Yeah. I said it's going to be a, big it's going to be a hit. Um, Good Night, Sweetheart. Um, well, we knew Nick Lindhurst was a big, big star. He still is. But then he was also doing Only Fools and Horses. So he was about as big as you could get. So I think we felt it was an interesting idea. You know, an unusual idea, a big star. We thought we had a chance, but I wouldn't say, I can't remember being more, I didn't feel certain about it. It wasn't an immediate massive no, that's hit. true. Uh, the first series went out on a Thursday night at half past eight uh, to an audience of about eight million. And because we Which then been... was, uh, was, was not fantastic. Now it would be unbelievable. Um, <laughs> uh, it, it then ran its course, everyone liked it, it was, it was very well received by critics, and the BBC decided they commissioned a second series of a lot more than the number of the first series, which was six, but what they decided to do was to run the first series as a repeat straight into the second series, and then it jumped to 11, 12, 13 million, and it was embedded in but people loved it more so than any other of our shows any other of our shows and i include birds of a feather and harvey moon but good night sweetheart just touched something in someone perhaps science fiction fans perhaps cultists i don't know but well, it has it has a big appeal for people who like science fiction all ages but that's not that's only a, a small fraction of the total audience but they're very very dedicated but yes, I think, as Lauren said, it was the repeats. But I think there were Sunday nights, the repeats. I don't know. And Mondays, I think. Was it? All right. Yeah. Anyway, whatever night it went on, it seemed to work. And sometimes, not so much now, but it used to be quite... The BBC were quite good at repeating shows to give them an extra sort of boost. The same thing happened to Fools and Horses. The first series, John Sullivan always said, was watched by my family. Yeah. And then the second series came on off the, on the back of the first and it just took off big time. But Good Night Sweetheart was the most interesting of um, con concepts, really, when you think about it, because the head of BBC Comedy, when we tried to explain to him what our next series 
the black community would, uh, didn't begin to understand it. He said, I'm sorry, I just don't understand. Can I ask you, is it going to be funny? And we said, yeah, it'll be very funny. He said, okay, well then let's do six. Um, that's an interesting way of going about it. But it was a very, very interesting show and remains so. We did one off last year uh, to which everybody that watched it, including critics, knew that this was the beginning of another adventure. Um, and perhaps one day it may be. Okay, uh, we're here at London's Museum of Comedy where you're both partaking in a seminar entitled Who Will Save a British Sitcom? Without giving too much away, can you answer this question? Well, I'd like to say we will save the British sitcom, but I think it's not as easy as that. I think that audiences will save the British sitcom. Uh, you need... We're discussing it today with a very experienced producer that the sorts of shows that you spoke of and Lawrence spoke of, shows that you can watch as a family, shows that you can watch with your friends, there aren't many of those at the moment, and lots of comedy shows are in funny corners of television, of the schedule or of the range of channels. They're expensive to make, and, and it's much easier to make a comedy panel show. You can make a comedy panel show for the price of one episode. So... It takes faith, really, and belief that comedy is you know, good for the soul. Um, we've had this month three or four major dramas about child abuse, about child death, about murder. Um, if you haven't got a psychopath in it, no one wants to know. So I think, really there's a coldness at the heart of commissioning which needs to be replaced with warmth. And when I say things like that, I don't do my career any good at all. Excellent. And uh, last but not least, but what is next for Marks and Grant? Many and various, I suppose. Um, we've written a new play for the stage. We soon, I suspect, will embark on a new musical for the stage. Um, we will write the Birds of a Feather Christmas special 2017 and um, one or two drama ideas we have but there's nothing firm really except for the play. At the moment it's one that wonderful sort of development period where you may or may not be very busy, you may or may not be very rich, you may or may not be, I might be retired this time next year but I think we've got a comedy project um, a drama project for television and as Lauren said two theatre projects um, because theatre is something we've done quite a lot of this last few years and we love that not least because in the theatre there are lots of people who you can sell something to in television there's only a few people you can sell something to So, and we like live audiences and it seems television yes. don't you know, a studio audience is great fun yeah. when you make a show, um, but a theatre audience is much better because they've paid. So if you're sitting at home watching a TV show and that you've written and someone says, that had 10 million viewers, you know, well, I can't know that and I can't feel that. Yeah. But if I go to the theatre and there's a thousand people in there... Yeah. And they've chosen to be there and they've paid, they're not watching it because the television's on. Yeah. That's a fantastic feeling. And if you can send them home 
and they're happy and they think they've had a good night out. There's nothing like that. So theatre is really where you get the most pleasure. Brilliant. Well, thank you mm. very much for your time. Well, it's a pleasure. We hate talking about it. Thank you very much to our guests for being the subject to another Beyond the Title interview. If you like this, why not browse the website and see if there's anything that takes your fancy. Don't forget to like our Facebook page to receive updates on forthcoming interviews and to see more information about me and what I do. Thanks again and hopefully see you next time for another Beyond the Title interview.